This is Creating Windows, Not Bars, a monthly show on Justice Radio on WMPG with your hosts, Mackenzie Kelly and Linda Small. Today, we are talking with Rebecca Barr, a teacher at Horace Mann in New York, one of the top private schools in the country, and Colleen Coffey, an education, equity, and advancement coordinator with the Washington County Community College about challenges and opportunities for higher education for justice impacted people while they are incarcerated and after they return to their home communities. But first a little bit about us. I'm Linda Small, a project coordinator with Maine Prisoner Advocacy Coalition and executive director of Reentry Sisters, an organization with a trauma informed and a gender approach to reentry support. And I'm Mackenzie Kelly, a recovery coach and peer mentor coordinator of Healthy Acadia and the program director of Reentry Sisters. For the past several months, we have worked together to provide support and community for justice impacted women as they reunify with their families, look for work and housing and complete their educational aspirations. Our show explores safety and community and asks what it's like for people to come home after serving time in prison. Today, we're talking about the opportunities for people seeking an education while incarcerated and the hurdles they face in staying in school during their transition from prison to productive community life. There are many hurdles to continuing education for people with a history of incarceration. Rebecca, people are probably wondering how a teacher at an elementary school in New York came to teach in a prison in Maine. Please share your journey with us. Well, I'm a high school English teacher. I've been teaching at my school for I don't know, 23 years, I believe. So this actually originated from a student's idea because we had a showing of College Behind Bars with Lynn Novick and Wesley, I can't remember his last name, uh, who's a BPI graduate. Lynn is a graduate of Horace Mann School. And I think I'd seen a little bit of College Behind Bars, but certainly not the whole thing. And she showed us, we only have an hour assembly. So she showed us a little bit of the film. There was an interview and talk back. And one of the students in the assembly was named is named uh, Simon uh, Shackner. And he was so impressed by the talk, by the movie, and, and so moved that he went home that night and said, mom, like, you know, I think Horace Mann should do something like this, you know, with a, with a prison with people who are incarcerated. And turns out his mom had uh, been in, uh, had gone to school at Tufts where they have an inside out program. And so uh, he started talking to the administration about the possibility of Horace Mann offering a class and taking classes with people who are incarcerated. The reason why he wanted to do that was we are a rich school we have resources and that idea of helping but really at the core of it was he wanted Horace Mann students to understand how precious education was you know we've got high school kids you know and some of them are rich and we've got the gamut but you know there's very wealthy kids there and he was like we don't appreciate our education so it was more about us learning from people who are incarcerated, who are, who are dedicated and know how precious education was, which I found very moving. So he got the, so he went to the administration, like, could we do something like this? And they would say, how would it work? And they said, he said, well, by video, like we could do a video class. And they're like, no, we hadn't done this before the pandemic. So then the pandemic happened and 
he was like well can we do it now since we all do zoom and they're like okay give it a try and i have to give my school credit because they just really took a big risk and simon contacted lynn and really did all the grunt work and sort of talked to her about how serious he was and she said uh you know they would find us a partner and they did they found us abby at the um re-entry center so we abby and i met and we had sort of a brainstorming session like how could this work would it you know what would it look like and abby pitched it to, to the women at the re-entry center and i sent out my description of the class to you know to the students at horace mann and and then we started our class last uh, a year ago september so september 21 i guess and it was a fantastic success and we got to visit at the re-entry center in like in April, we did a second semester course as well. We're not doing a second semester course this year. We just did it once. But um, yeah, it was just, uh, we really learned so much from each other. It was a very beautiful and rich experience. Wow. That's amazing, Rebecca. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. And um, <laughs> Simon sounds like an amazing student. Right. Um, so Colleen, can you tell us a little bit about your path of how you came involved in working with uh, women within the justice system and education? Sure. So um, I was working for the University of Maine at Augusta, who has a prison education program. And um, actually, much like Rebecca in her story, COVID had a lot to do with access to individuals who are incarcerated. And at the time I was an academic success coach. So I, my in that role, I was meeting weekly with students who are either at risk or in competitive programs or find themselves in the need of some coaching. Um, so I got an opportunity to start Zooming with students who are currently incarcerated. And that started at um, Southern Maine Women's Reentry Center and kind of expanded to some other facilities after that. And uh, so I had the opportunity to meet once a week with with, with women and with with men uh, to talk about all, everything from, you know, sort of challenges that they were facing accessing their resources or materials to the sort of pathway or career pathway that they were thinking about taking. I would help them research like I had access to a computer and many of them did not. So I was able to do things like researching how you get a license after not having one for many years or what does housing look like in Lewiston or is there a halfway house in Auburn? So just really starting to coach students through the reentry process. And I had um, built a success coaching model at UMA anyway, but had sort of adjusted it for the reentry process. Everything from um, where they might live to uh, getting a laptop to accessing shoes to razors and literally everything, um, building a budget and planning in a holistic way how to build their life back upon release. And so I successfully coached about 12 individuals to their re through their reentry process, all of whom are doing very, very well now, and many of whom are in graduate school now. And um, I now am in a new role that I is a split position between the main Department of Corrections and the community college system. And in that role, I'm mapping educational, uh, technical and vocational and apprenticeship programs on both sides of the house. So everything that the main Department of Corrections is doing from welding to automotive to what the community college is doing, welding and automotive, mapping all of those programs and then looking for crosswalks and synergies to combine things, resources, syllabi, teaching um, 
teachers, students. And so um, that partnership is really quite groundbreaking. It's the first time that um, such a partnership has existed with the main department of corrections. And um, in that role, we're looking to make uh, our first campus, a community college campus, a prison. So we'll be, we're looking at making that happen. Also starting to work with some of the youth offenders at Mountain View, um, doing some of the coaching work that I was doing before, like personality assessments and learning style assessments and talking about career pathways with uh, individuals who are, are, are under the age of 21 and um, are looking to, to start to take take some some steps toward their their education while incarcerated and so our goal there is to really have complete programs at the prison so that people can start their education and finish their education all the way to the end so that's fantastic colleen um both of you are doing such um amazing work so here's a question for both of you um, what is a prison education program and why is it important to bring education into a prison setting? Um, how about we start with you, Rebecca? I mean, as an educator, I mean, everyone, I believe everyone deserves a really good education. Uh, one of the things I was struck by when I watched College Behind Bars was how heartbreaking it was that so many of the young men in there, and they went in so young at so many of them went in at 16, had such a terrible education, you know, it was just like appalling, you know, where they didn't read any books. They never really wrote anything in English class that, you know, and I'm sure it was the same. It's just like so much of our education system is a holding pen for people until they drop out or, you know, don't gra or graduate and just, you know, go into McDonald's or something. So I think, you know, people who've been incarcerated are, I mean, from what I saw from the film, they were just so hungry to use their minds and, you know, expand themselves and learn about the world through, through these education classes. So when we started, um, you know, Abby was such a great partner and we worked together really on the curriculum and really every step of the way, she was so great because she would let me know, how to adjust that, like how we should adjust things a little bit for the women, like how they might be taking it and, you know, being mindful of that. But really right away, the women um, were just, they were so happy to be in a class with young people. That was like kind of amazing. It just to, you know, have a generational divide. It's called bridging the divide. So it was New York and Maine, but it was so many other things too. So for them to have, and a lot of them were mothers are mothers and we're talking about how they wanted to sort of get to know kids their age their own children's age and what they were like and you know to kind of get a sense of maybe what their kids are, are going through it too and how they're taking their education so that was really beautiful but mostly the women like I'm thinking this year too are um in the fall semester they just talked about how great it was to feel like they were part of a community with no labels attached to them so that was really helpful and so we really made it clear right away like we are all students here we're all reading texts together whatever anybody did who was incarcerated that is not that's not a part of this class it's not if they end up telling you something in our breakout rooms or sharing some personal stories it's personal that is you know and you keep it private but really our main goal here is to read books together and talk about them and use all our different experiences to learn from each other so that was incredibly valuable and especially because I prefaced it with you know I told everybody and I will 
when we keep doing this class, you know, about Simon's sort of main impetus was for us to learn from them, you know, and and that they had valuable things to share with us. Yeah, and we would them, but you know, that was that was sort of my priority to to make everyone understand that they were valued community members and we all, you know, really respected their voices and their experiences and, and what they could bring to the class. That's great, Rebecca. Thank you. Um, how about you, Colleen? <clears throat> Why do you think it's important to bring education into a prison setting? Well, it uh in my own personal educational journey, it, there's it it has absolutely affected my life where education is freedom education is liberating and you can create a classroom without walls or a roof that is open aired and bring freedom directly to especially incarcerated individuals and so um, from the moment i started doing this work it touched part of my personal story anyway i'm a person in long-term term recovery i've myself have been very lucky to escape serving time myself. And so every moment that I occupy a space where I'm privileged enough to work with incarcerated or previously incarcerated people, I sit in a place of honor and that we are all very, very lucky to keep company together. And I think at any minute, the carceral system could put an end to that situation. And I don't have faith that that prison education will continue. I I fear for it. So my, my doctoral program is specifically focused on making sure that my life's work with a doctorate will involve prison education and keeping the torch going because it's a very scary and trepidatious place to exist. And education brings light into a very, very dark and disgusting place. And so... I feel one, a place of honor to be here, but two, I think that there is no better work that can be done in the prison than education. Absolutely no better work. And in fact, I don't see how we have not, as the, the history of, of incarceration in America and in the world has not more heavily leaned on education and as re rehabilitation and instead has leaned toward punishment and, um, and keeping things going the way that they have been. Thank you, Colleen. I love the idea of bringing light into the darkness, that education does that. Um, and I know for myself, uh, being formerly incarcerated, that I understand completely the power of education to transform. And it is definitely one of the tools that we have to change people's lives. Um, so thank you both for that. You are listening to Creating Windows, Not Bars, Justice Radio with Mackenzie Kelly and Linda Small. Today, we are talking about the challenges and opportunities of formerly and currently incarcerated people face in education with Colleen Coffey of Washington Community College and Rebecca Barr of Horace Mann. So Colleen, can you tell our audience a little bit, um, what exactly does an education equity and advancement coordinator do? Well, I mentioned a little bit about it previously, but I do a, a number of different things. Um, and, and there's several different phases to the project. It is grant funded two year project, um, but I think it's unique because I have two bosses. I have the community college, which is the liberal mom. And then I have 
main <laughs> department of corrections, which is the very not liberal dad. <laughs> so <laughs> use that metaphor. Uh, you know, it's hard to have two different bosses because neither of them will ever be happy. But uh, I've, I think I've done a pretty good job at, at, at bridging the gap between the, the higher education and, and incarceration. And that is really like where the rubber hits the road with prison education. So as far as my title is concerned and how I look at it is a little bit different than how my bosses probably look at it, but education equity is just that. I'm not exactly happy about the history of higher education in prisons in Maine, how men have had access to education a decade before women. That's where equity gets in the way. I believe that the experience of incarcerated women in Maine is different than the experience, vastly sometimes, than the men in Maine, and that's not equitable. And so I don't always make friends making that statement. <laughs> I know that anyone, a woman who has spent time in the prisons in Maine could speak to this a lot with a lot more depth and gravity than I can. But I believe that my position is to bring not only education to the to the prison facilities of Maine, but more so to make to do that in the most equitable way possible, and to make sure that I'm reaching people that. Um, maybe haven't had the benefit of a really great education before they went to prison. Maybe they were in special education classrooms like myself who were told never to go to college. Maybe they believe that going to college for welding is not actually college when in fact it is college. So I, I, I'm trying to, to, to sort of like tear down walls, but also bust open some of them as far as how people consider higher education and how it exists in those spaces. Um, but but more so lifting up the quiet voices and the ones who may have aren't may not think that education it, it in prison is for them. Um, they may uh, it, and they may be pulled toward work release, which is something that I'm really, really pushing hard against. Work release gets in the way of participating in higher education in Maine. And justly so, people need to save money so that they can reenter with money. And it's not fair that we put incarcerated people in a position where they have to choose successful reentry with money or their education. That's wrong. And I'm actively working really hard right now in my position and the main department of corrections is partnering with me on this because they too see it as a problem. So, um, God willing this, this position will start, will, will really lay some serious groundwork for improvement, um, in those spaces. Thank you, Colleen. I like the fact that you bring up, um, that there's a wide variety of education and a degree seeking program isn't right for everybody, right? There are certificate programs, there are vocational programs that are education and just as valued, um, which leads me to my follow-up question for you. Um, so can you explain a little bit about how your program um, provides workforce training for incarcerated people, you know, so that directly fills employment that's needed in the state? Absolutely. So in my community, the people with graduate degrees don't make the money. In my community, people who make money are working as foremen, they're working in factories, they're working as plowmen, they're, they're in construction, they're in the trades. So I hate to devalue my own education or those who are on the path to, to higher degrees, but I do have to say that the trades are where the money is. The people who I'm helping to gain 
you know, workforce development and, and, and direct skills training, those individuals are coming out making 60 to 80, $80 an hour. That's only $10 less than a lawyer. So just saying like, we're, de we're delivering fast education within a year, three at the max, that also comes with a lot of different certifications and an apprenticeship that's, that's state of Maine approved. So, um, for example, with, um, our uh, aquaculture courses that we're offering right now, providing people experience with knot tying and how lo the lobster industry works or how the fishing industry works is something that someone can take within eight months and come out with a, a cert certificate and get a job immediately. And that job will make them a lot of money. <laughs> so um, a, a, another you know area that that we're looking at um, is in um, installation and repair for heat pumps. So heat pumps heat a lot of homes in Maine. It's an economical way to, to heat homes in Maine. And there is a five-year backlog of individuals who know how to re repair or um, install a heat pump. So if we can deliver that kind of training to individuals now, they're coming out with a job promised. And so we're, we're, we're partnering with employers, large and small, that will help inform the curriculum and form the syllabi and promise a job at the end of their sentence so that folks are coming out with work that's going to that provide them a, a, a very good <laughs> um, salary. So uh, that's some of the work that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Great, thank you so much, Colleen. Uh, we're so lucky to have you in our prison systems, right? <laughs> Um, so being a formerly incarcerated person, um, I hear, I've heard a lot about inside out classes and actually participated in a few myself. Um, Rebecca, can you actually tell us what an inside out class is and how that's different from a regular class? Well, we weren't exact, we weren't an inside out classroom. I mean, I mean, and I think that's when the teachers come into the classroom, right? come into the into the incarceration facility and and teach the class um so that's a really incredible thing and i think lee perlman's done a lot of that right i mean he's he's he never actually came in oh he didn't it's just like they consider inside students which would be somebody who's in prison and then outside students oh okay oh, i thought it was like <laughs> thank you for no. I'm learning, always learning. Um, not yeah, so, people know what they are, right? <laughs> the so I mean, our class, yeah, we we met on Zoom and um, would meet with them three out of four days with me with the women in Maine, and three out of four days, and then I would have one day alone with my students physically in a classroom, too. And it was just great because we were able to use breakout rooms. Sometimes we had a bigger discussion, and we were all there. But just to hear other people's voices and, and in my classrooms, I I do a lot of have people write like poetry. We had a big poetry unit and I give them some models and then we write our own poems and we share them. So it was so great to just be all together and hear hear what each other came up with, with the poetry or creative work or short stories or anything like that um, in response to some of the novels we read. So that was really great. But the but really the best. Well. Not the best part, but one of the highlight of the trip was coming and meeting face to face because both years, I think my students came into the reentry center. So we came on a Friday night. We drove up in a bus 
stayed in a hotel, went the next morning on Saturday to the reentry center. And, and of course it was also like the trip got delayed many times because of COVID, the COVID outbreaks in Maine. So we finally went in April and my students were like, you're real. <laughs> you guys are, are real. You're not just a screen. You're not. And, you know, we had, we had so much fun. We played games together. So we'd already gotten like a really nice camaraderie going, especially in the breakout rooms where the kids got a chance to talk with the, with the women and, <clears throat> uh, and, and talk about the books we were reading or their work, the, their written work that they were doing. Um, but coming there and physically being in the same space was just an amazing thing. So we went to the reentry center, we got a little tour, but everybody was like, what? And everybody's a little nervous at first, just like, you know, like, oh, like, how do we interact now physically? Everybody was like that with everyone during COVID. I was like, oh, how do I, how far away do we stand from each other? Um, but we played games and and just had some fun. And we, you know, I had them do, I do a lot of uh, sort of theater work where I have them perform, you know, bits of poems or something like that. And I have to find a gesture and work together and do collaborative work. So to do that physically was just so much fun. Um, we took a little bit of uh, Reginald Dwayne Betts uh, poem from his his collection called Felon and like had them, you know, so each group had some Horace Mann students and some women from Maine and then, um, and they performed and it was hilarious and funny and really sweet. And, and um, then we went out for the afternoon to, I mean, the great thing about working with the reentry center is the women could leave for the day. We could have a little adventure with them. We went to an organic farm last year and kind of threw mud balls and, you know, got to see all these uh, great plants that they were growing at the farm and, you know, and then we like circled up and we we shared some of our poetry from earlier. And then this year we got to go to uh, a camp, Camp Winona, <clears throat> and go to their lodge. Have you have you been there? <laughs> it was so it's just beautiful. It's a camp. It's a boys camp, like an hour outside of Wyndham. And, um, you know, one of Priscilla's dear friends who volunteered to have this because we need it. it was winter. We couldn't go to the farm. It was too cold. And we went sledding with the women and they played the kids and the kids started this. They did, they played Pictionary. It was just like, you know, we had fun together and how seldom do, does any sort of more disparate group of people come and have fun together. It's kind of, it's kind of amazing. So that sort of inside out part of through made possible through Zoom and then the physical being together was really, I think all, for all of us who are involved, we will never ever forget this educational experience. That's amazing, Rebecca. We love to hear about people having fun together and the joy your high school students had spending time with the women at the pre-release center. People who have been incarcerated just like everyone else. And your class shows what is possible when we accept one another despite our faults and mistakes. Thank you both for being here today for the work that you do. You're such an inspiration to all of us and you really help us all out, especially to the women who are incarcerated. We have so much more to discuss. So we'll continue our discussion on education with the two of you in our next episode. Next week, please join Representative Charlotte Warren and Zoe Bocas on Justice Radio to learn about the upcoming Maine 131st legislative session and what can be done to redefine and reimagine equity, restoration, and justice through legislative action. 
Visit the Justice Radio webpage on WMPG.org for archived episodes aired on WMPG and WERU. And a big thank you to Samuel James for his gift of music that opens and closes each episode in our series. <laughs>